Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about starting new campaigns, we talk about temporary hit points, and Lucian and I discuss my adventure, Dragon on the Mount. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Good to see all those faces in chat. We're getting ready for an awesome Saturday morning. It's going to be yeah. good. Spring is almost here. Spring, well, technically the equinox I happened. Yeah, spring's here. You're in Michigan, though. <laughs> Don't you have, uh, like, three months of spring, summer, fall, and then it goes back to winter? I'm, I, I think we have, like, yeah, yeah, I, I, all of that is three months, and then it's like yeah. eight months. Winter, and then, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we are a Dungeons & Dragons uh, tabletop RPG show where we just kind of talk about games that we're running and the news of the day. Um, and, yeah, like, we got a little bit of news. Uh, first of all, Ghosts of Saltmarsh comes out May 21st. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Um, it looks really fun. It's going to be a nautical adventure. We're all really excited for it. Um, I really liked, what was it, uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal. I liked how that was mm -hmm. set up where you could go from 1 to, I think, 10, or maybe it was 15 um, in that adventure. Like, if you just wanted to play through all of the adventures back to back, um, or you could just pick and choose and be like, let's play this level 7 adventure, or, or let's play Tomb of Horrors, or let's play this. And so, which is what I did, and I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Are you going to pick this one up? I'm definitely going to pick this one up because yeah, I think uh, I, I, I'm just really curious. And if anything, it's going to be something that I can steal bits from for uh, my other campaigns that I'm going to be running. So, and then we're once Hot Springs Island ends, which should be next week, um, we're going to try out some not uh, non D and D RPGs because they're really curious about Dungeon Crawl Classics, and one of them really wants to play Mothership, which is a really cool like horror sci fi game that I've mm -hmm. never DM, so I'm a little like, Ugh. and I'm going mm -hmm. I'm trying to convince them to pl uh, play Kids on Bikes with me. Yeah, because so, you know that. Yeah, because I know that one at least. Uh, Mothership, I could run. I just need to like really sit down and read all of yeah. it thoroughly and re-listen to the podcast that exposed me to Mothership, so that I can understand how the creator mm -hmm. was running it. Uh, but anyway, that's our plan. And so I think by the time we finish all of that, I think Salt Marsh will be out, and we might just pick that up and start playing that. So we'll see. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, my my big plan is that I want to release an adventure coming up here on DMs Guild, and it's going to tie in, or it can tie into Salt Marsh, because as you were one of my playtesters in the original one. Um, it's right on the coast. It's mm -hmm. in the Forgotten Realms, but it's down in Villain. And so you could easily call rename the town I use, which was called Salt Break, and turn it into Salt Marsh, which would be perfect. Let that town be your starting point, and then do the cool adventure that we started out for your first level, or add it in, or just you know have it added as part of that campaign. I think would be really cool. So I'm excited about that. So I want to get the book so I can really read through it and make sure the things I'm tying in kind of match some of the stuff that's going on with that. And I think it'll be really fun. Um, to get that out there and put it out. So I'm excited for it. I want the alternate cover. I know most of you like to collect the ones that are yeah. all the same. Yeah. They sit on the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get the alternate cover because I like it. I like a Sahugan um, art. I like how sinister it looks. I yeah. like those as a race. Um, I really want to get my players underwater at some point to really dampen down their combat effectiveness. Because <laughs> it definitely puts a little bit of a hamper on many of the things they normally can do. So it makes it a little tougher on them. Anything that makes it tougher for the players is always better. So. Yeah. No, I did an underwater fight. Um, I had like a little seafaring campaign in one of my, a long time ago. Um, mm -hmm. And the funny thing was the monk was like grappling a shark they were fighting and like punching it. And mm -hmm. I went, and I, this isn't even going to be a good story, but I'll say it anyway. But I said something to the effect of, do you want to swim away from the shark? And he's like, well, no, I don't want like an opportunity attack from the shark that I'm currently grappled under. And the way he was like describing all of the different effects that were happening and underwater, we all started laughing uh, for a solid like five minutes at just yeah. like how absurd <laughs> the situation actually was that, yeah. that I had put them in. Um, yeah. It so. turned into like the Kung Fu hustle style. Um, yeah. <laughs> fight. It's just really crazy. And, and 
different, but that's funny. So yeah, May 21st, put that on your calendars. It's a, it's a worldwide launch this time. So if you're by, if you like to buy it from Amazon or you like to buy it from your local store, or you like to buy it from some other website, wherever it's all gets out um, on the 21st everywhere. So you don't have to wait or try to figure out what days, which I think is nice. I'm glad they've consolidated their days to make it easy on us purchasers Yeah, to, to do that. Um, also, May 1st, before that, is the Stranger Things starter kit, but yep. I've seen some people already have their hands on some of this. Yeah. In fact, I thought, you know, I thought I saw somebody playing it maybe last night. <laughs> I don't know. I, I saw somebody playing it last night. He was very handsome. Uh, yeah. He had a silent pH in the middle. His beard looks amazing. <laughs> no, uh, so Ted over at Nerd Immersion, who is a friend of the show um, and a friend of both of us, he uh, like walked into a real life Think Geek store. I guess Think Geek has real life stores in in real life stores, not just their online stores, what I'm trying to say. And they he, he saw it on a shelf. And so he just picked it up. And he's like, oh, and he read through it. And he's like, I want to run this. And so mm-hmm. we ran it last night. Um, it was like, I think we started at eight o'clock and we, no, we started at six o'clock and we finished around 1030. So it was like four and a half hours of D&D. Did not feel like that. We had a lot of fun just like goofing off and playing around and stuff. Um, but yeah, so I played through that. So if you want to watch the Stranger Things uh, starter set and see what it's all about, you can go over to Ted's channel on Nerd Immersion on Twitch. And he's been running replays of it, or you can just check the the VODs and, and probably watch it there. But it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And does it start you out at first level, I assume, because it's a starter kit, I assume. No, that... that's the weird thing about oh, it is right. it's a starter set, but you start at level three. And it's a one shot. It literally is like four hours of D and D. And by the end of that, you're level four, but like the starter set didn't have anything. It feels, so here's the thing is we were talking about it afterwards. It feels more like something for stranger things, fanatics, collectors, Okay. like the collect people who are, are fans of the show and want to collect things of the show more than it felt like a D and D thing. Like you could buy it and be like, like, if I'm into Stranger Things and I want to get into D&D, we were all thinking, well, I would recommend Lost Minds of Fandelver 100% over this starter set because mm-hmm. this starter set doesn't start you at level one. So if you've never played before, now you're level three and you're just like, what can I do? Like, I don't know. Whereas level mm-hmm. one is a very good introduction into the game. Um, and Is it pre-generated characters? Yeah, it did come with pre-generated characters. Oh, okay. We played the pre-gens. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was another problem I had is I played the Dwarven Bard, um, Mm -hmm. and they gave him a whole bunch of spells. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, these spells are going to help me in the adventure because why else would they give me the spell comprehend languages and the spell suggestion and the spell of all this other stuff? Uh, well, we ended up fighting a bunch of like creatures that I couldn't charm, because they're mm-hmm. not humanoids. And we ended up fighting. We never got into a situation where I needed the comprehend languages spell to understand what was going on. And so it feels, it felt, I don't want to sound mean, but it feels Uh-oh. kind of like a cash grab. <laughs> like they were like, okay. we'll just throw together an adventure really quick. We'll slap Stranger Things on it. Here's a Demogorgon mini. Go at it. Um, but in the adventure, you are in a weird fantasy kind of kingdom. You end up going into the upside down, which is kind of cool. You fight, Mm -hmm. um, the Demogorgon and then there's a little wrap up with the creature you're actually supposed to be hunting the Thessal Hydra. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. It was like, we had a really good time because I think you can make D and D fun, with really good people and they were all like fun players. It was a great DM. And so we just had a really great time with it. But if you were brand new to the game, I think it would be a little confusing. And uh, Ted improved a whole bunch because we were like egging him on like, well, what's this NPC's name? What's his backstory? What's this? And he's like, fine, like, let's do all this other stuff. I'll, I'll tell you everything about this stuff. But um, for a new dungeon master, I think it would be a little intimidating to be like, oh, I don't have a name for this guy. Like, there's no name in the book that this guy has. Whereas, like, Lost Minds of Fandelver is very good at, I don't want to say hand-holding, but providing you all of that information that new DMs kind of want because players are going to have those questions. Like, right. how far to the north is the orchard? Um, mm-hmm. It'll tell me in Lost Minds of Fandelver, but in this other Stranger Things things, it just says north. 
and you're like, okay, I guess you walk north. I don't know, maybe a couple days, maybe a couple mm -hmm. hours. <laughs> so, but interesting. All right. I don't know. I I've decided I that think I, I don't want. think. Yeah. I think like, I still want it. I talking to Ted. I'm just like, well, are you like, are you excited that you bought this? He's like, well, I'm a collector and I like it. He said, this is going to look really cool on my shelf. I don't think I'll run it again, but that's what he wants it for is to look cool mm -hmm. on his shelf. So if you want it because it looks cool on your shelf, maybe you're going to run it. Maybe not. Um, mm -hmm. There wasn't a whole bunch to steal from it. Apparently the Demogorgon is just kind of like a reflavored troll. So it's not even like a really new type of monster. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I feel like I'm just bashing on it, but I had a good time. <laughs> I don't think well, I'm, thing, I don't think yeah. I'm going to pick it up though, because uh, I just don't have any use for it. And I like stranger things, but I'm not like a diehard fan. So yeah. I don't know. I think I'm a super fan. And the one thing I saw about it, um, the only thing I've saw about it was that the Dungeon Masters portion of it is written from as if Mike, the who is the the dungeon master yeah. in the show, is running it. So it's written in like a notebook of how he ran his adventure. So I really think it's kind of a, a cool way to organize that and i just thought oh that was such a cool idea i want it for that i want to be yeah. able to read through that and and see the the cool things that they do that they reference the show and they they you know, do and there's like his handwritten notes and i think there's a map that's like it's printed in the in the module but it's printed to look like it's taped in there with scotch tape you yeah know? And so there's like little yeah, things so like, I like that, that yeah. Thing. Like, yeah so i think that's good and i love that show um i love first season second season I think I liked it, but I, I wasn't as much into it as I was in first season. I they just dropped the trailer for third season, so that whole thing is you know going to blow up again. I saw everybody getting super excited about the next season of this, so we'll see how this one goes. But I, I think it's something I want to pick up for sure. So cool. it looked cool. Yeah, I, I was really surprised that he was able to get it so early. Like it must just be like a fault of ThinkGeek for yeah. being like oh we weren't supposed to put this on the shelves but we did by accident or something i don't know yeah that's the, really the early was may 1st yeah. on their on the website so yeah. I, I don't know how they got it already so, oh that's cool um other than that if you guys are a idol champions fan you guys play uh, idol champions of Waterdeep, and it's fun little kind of clicker game where you can just kind of not have to pay attention too much and you you create a lineup of famous uh adventurers and you get to play well the big release this week was rosie b stinger kate welch's character from act inc and i love that show i love rosie b stinger as a character so i was like i definitely jumped in today or, or when they first released it this week i think it was on tuesday got rosie now i'm working up getting all her items that she needs and uh, that's been pretty fun so if you haven't got rosie yet i know a few of you in chat there play that game so make sure you get out there and get rosie what um, entails getting rosie do you have to just log on or do you have to buy her or what, what normally the way the game works is you um, if you want to unlock a character and usually they only have one at a time that they're letting you unlock and they have an adventure that you play and you bring your adventures through it. And if you get through 50 levels of the adventure at the end of that, you've unlocked Rosie who can then join your team. OK, and you can play through stuff again. And then they have different challenge sets that change some of the rules around when you play through it again for another time. Um, if you read through it, sometimes it has some really interesting story hook stuff in the, the stuff that's going on, but mostly it's just a, a strategy click mash game where you just set it up and let them beat each other. Yeah. It plays offline, which is kind of cool too. So if you leave your adventures set up and then you log off, they're still fighting through and, and earning you money so that if you come back a day later, they have this big chunk of money for you. And then you can use that money to unlock other champions and you swap out different ones. You put them in different places. There's a lot of strategy to who should be in front and who should be in back and who's in the middle and all that kind of stuff, what kind of gear they can get. It's just a fun little game. And it just ties in. It, it really should be up your alley. I was just thinking today that I'm not, I'm just really surprised that Jordan hasn't jumped on this and done lore. You should know style videos of each one of those champions now and just oh, yeah. do a video based on, Here's this character because they've got they've got people that you've recognized that play Dungeons and Dragons. So the Act Inc. crew or the Dice Camera Action crew or there's like Binwin Bronze Bottoms in there. You know people you know that play characters. But then they also have Drizzt and they have things from the books. They have things that are famous characters that you've seen in Forgotten Realms somewhere else. Um, maybe they came from 
the video games. Maybe they've come from novels. Maybe they've come from within the game itself. So you can get all these different cool stuff. Like I just picked up the Viper, which was one that was prominently um, in uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Mm -hmm. was one of the NPCs that you could run into there. So I just got that one too. So it was a really cool, really fun game. And again, it's a lore video, which I just thought you should be doing. And there must be 20, 30, 40-ish characters at this point. I don't even know. There's so many of them. Like you could do one eight minute video per one of those you'd be you'd be stopped full for <laughs> i don't know that <laughs> would be, be pretty- interesting to be like the history of like rosie b stinger like yeah. I, yeah I don't know or minsk well most of those but characters some of the other popular. ones i could yeah like and i did that like yeah. i did a They'll jarlaxle have- video and things like that so yeah, i've kind of dipped my toe in it yeah yeah, Charles Axel. And, um, so I'm always nervous about that because there's so many like those are very beloved characters and if my Jarlaxle video was any indication that I get a lot of backlash because people are just like, well, you didn't mention this. And when I think of Jarlaxle, I think of this. And now I'm angry at you because you did it wrong. And it's like, I didn't, I didn't do it wrong. I just condensed to a six minute video. Cut me some slack yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> the, the internet rage, the nerd rage yeah. is real. <laughs> so I've never thought it'd be something very interesting. Other than that, we didn't get a lot of news. Um, I think mostly we had, they're at conventions again. And since it was a Seattle convention, I think that meant that a lot of them were over at um, Emerald city comic-con mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff going on with that. There's been a lot of games that are being playing online, but there hasn't been a lot of other news. I went through all of Greg Tito's stuff, and it was mostly just mentioning everything we've already heard over the last few weeks. Nothing's too different. I did see as an interesting thing, I don't know why all of a sudden last week it seemed like there was more of it than I've seen, but I saw a lot of news articles here and there. Like CBS did a, an article about Dungeons & Dragons. IGN did an article about Dungeons & Dragons. Um, Sci-Fi Wire did an article about Dungeons. It was like all these press, like normal press kind of companies decided they were all going to write articles on Dungeons and Dragons and the phenomenon and its popularity all of a sudden. So there was like some weird confluence of all these people releasing their articles. So there was a bunch in different outlets of people talking about Dungeons and Dragons last week. So probably that 7 million Kickstarter that's happening. So that could be (laughs) money talks. And so people are just like, Oh, like, what is this? Yeah. So So it was definitely people's minds. It's definitely getting out there again in probably lots of people were seeing it that maybe aren't into Dungeons and Dragons yet. And maybe are thinking, Oh wait, what's going on? It's now popular, Mm. you know, and and started. So we'll probably see another resurgence because it just seems it was all positive press and it, everybody was raving about you know the communities and the games that are getting put out and how it's more popular than it's ever been and all the cool people that are playing it and this kind of stuff so i thought was pretty cool um but other than that there wasn't really we didn't get a lot of stuff because we're still working on testing artificer that's the ua article out i don't think we'll get another ua article for a bit while that one's going out the survey will probably come out in a couple of weeks um we know what the next book is, so we've got, we're not going to hear about any book after that for a while yet. And so I think that's all really the D&D news we're going to get for a while. I think we're, we're stuck in at this point with all the stuff. So I think uh, that's about a, it. Actually, I'm going to go to the, excuse me, DM Guild really quick. There was a Morgrave Selen. How do I pronounce this? Morgrave. Um, here, Lucian, I'm going to send you this. I don't know how to, how to pronounce this. Morgrave Miscellany. Long story short, Keith Baker wrote a new, uh, Eberron supplement for the DMs Guild. So if, and and Rudy Rutenberg worked on it and a bunch of other people, um, it's 15 bucks. I've been thinking about picking it up, but I ended up buying something else recently. And so I'm kind of like waiting for next paycheck to check it out. Um, but it's getting like fairly good reviews. And if you're interested in Eberron content that came out, uh, and so it's kind of like under the radar. Like I, I, I peruse the Dungeon Masters Guild every once, once in a while, and I'm like, oh, what's this like bestseller that's going on? Uh, but so something to check out there. Oh. Um, I didn't put it in our notes because I just remembered it right now. Sorry. More but, grave miscellany. Miscellany. Yeah. Oh, so that like makes miscellaneous. Miscellaneous. Okay. I can't yeah, read, yeah, yeah, guys. Miscellaneous. I run. That's what Cyber uh, yeah. saying. I don't know. He's putting it in the chat. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what it is. More grave miscellany. So uh, uh, yeah, if you're interested in the Eberron, that's full of Eberron lore from Keith Baker and a few mechanical twists and flavor twists on existing classes to make them fit into uh, 
Dungeons and Dragons or into the Eberron world, I guess. So like, cool. how do you make like, I don't know. I shouldn't even say because I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, something that I'm thinking about picking up, but I'm really keep hoping at some point you run an Eberron game. Cause I know how into it you fun. are. Like I want to play Eberron. I don't think I want to run it as a DM. Yeah. It's not necessarily the genre. I think I'm strong at DM wise, but I think I would love to play in it. Like I'd love to get into find somebody that's really into it. Just really, really play it. Problem is, is like, I can't think of a good one shot for Eberron unless I just like, I, cause with Eberron, you want to do, you want to do something with the day of mourning, which was the big cataclysmic event that destroyed part of the continent. And, and the, even the writer Keith Baker says, you know, we don't know what the day of mourning was because he leaves that up for the player. So a mm -hmm. lot of the game, a lot of my ideas for the game are like, I want to deal with that. And I want to like come up with like what happened. That sounds like a year long campaign though. That's not like a three shot that I would write to invite my friends to do stuff. But um, I don't know, maybe sometime no. it would be really cool. Like, like Eberron's just got fun, fun lore. It's a fun world. Well, they, I just saw a word that interested me. They said there's a dragon forged class. Well, that has me super interested. I don't know what it is. <laughs> There you go. I know what a warforged is. Who knows what a dragon forged is? <laughs> I don't forged know. in the heart of a dragon. Wait, what? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Sounds good. So I think that was about it for news as far as Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Um, there's a few Kickstarters going on. I did news for Lucian. Um, one of my Kickstarters, I got a deliverable, which is always nice because I'm I like have these all spaced out over. I'll see one and then it's months and months and months before we get one. We talked about this quite a bit last week, but I finally got one. One of my um, one of ones completed. They Ooh. shipped it out. Fantasy trip. I'll try to get the not as much glare on it if I can. Sorry, guys, but it's got some cool stuff. And as I try to figure out, there we go. And we, we can zoom it in a little bit. Some look how big this box is. Like there's so much stuff in it. Uh, the Old school role playing at its dungeon crawling finest. That's going to be super cool. Eventually, I'll get the. I want to do an unboxing maybe of that. I keep saying that. And then if I don't do it, everybody's going to be like, you never did it. You like should do it stuff. because I just want to know what's inside. Like, are there maps? Yeah. Are there miniatures? Like, I think there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Like, I think they use a token for the miniatures because it's a hex and they have the okay. hex tokens that move around, I think. Or they have the paper stand up ones. They have a bunch of hex grid stuff. They have a bunch of pre printed maps. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's exclusive items inside. I forgot what I even pledged. I just remember thinking, oh, I'd heard about it from our interview with um, Jim Murphy. We did an interview a year ago. He came on the show and he talked about it. And he's uh, one of those people that he was the, he was a teenager in a game store when Dungeons and Dragons first came to the West Coast and they put it up on the shelf to sell for the very first time. And people would come in and ask him, what is Dungeons and Dragons? And he'd have to explain it. And then he started playing it. And then the whole big craze kind of started over there um, for their groups, the, the California Dungeons and Dragons scene kind of happened. But then he eventually kind of moved on to other role-playing games because as Dungeons and Dragons became popular for Gary Gygax, all these other Steve Jackson, all these other game makers were making versions of role-playing games. And he played this one that was called Fantasy Trip quite a bit. He, kept, he talks about it a lot. He streamed a game, which actually was pretty well of him and his um group that he plays with on a weekly basis with his iphone which was it actually came out really well i was super hmm. surprised um it looked pretty good and they had a really fun um adventure and i thought all right and i saw the kickstarter come around and thought okay i'll jump in it sounds good i like steve jackson steve jackson games makes lots of cool stuff um so i jumped in so it was really cool so nice. that one's here that one's good so i can't wait to show people that stuff um other than that the only other thing we got, um, Aether Void sent us a playtest material so that we can playtest uh, an all-in-one adventure, um, which is pretty cool. So I'm thinking about trying to gather up or round up some of the fans of the show and see if they want to sit down and learn this new game that's on Kickstarter. It starts in May for a game called Aether Void um, and to learn how to play it and just check it out. They just they took it to GaryCon and they ran a bunch of games there and got a lot of hype over there. So then they sent us a copy to go ahead and play it so i thought oh that'd be cool so that's another thing that we got over the week so that was fun nice then i mean god there was so much dungeons and dragons it felt like you had a lot of games running i had a ton of games going I had like week. three or four yeah yeah it was a good week for dungeons and dragons this past week um so monday night we started off seeking revenor we played one of our campaigns and here's 
here let's get to the meat of the show jordan okay let's get to the meat of the show so you set up your encounter and you've got your big bad guy and you figure your players are, are it's like five players against one and we keep talking about when there's five on one it seems like the one always is at a disadvantage because they might economy. have one yeah. or act one or two actions but your players at fourth and fifth level third and fourth level they each have like three things they can do from their character classes. They've got bonus actions. They've got actions. They've got crazy reactions. You got all this. They've got abilities that aren't an action at all. Paladins can just do things and it doesn't count in any of the action economy. It's just something they can do whenever they want kind of thing. Like, so like um, turns or smites or, or some other things that will happen. So they've got a lot of stuff. So I'll put, so I said, okay, I'm going to have this Cambion. It's a really cool creature, really cool, um devil demon kind of servant creature and pretty strong cr5 creature i put a couple of hellhounds with it and i thought this would be a good fight with this with my party and immediately first turn uh the paladin repels it using its uh, ability to repel evil and i obviously fail a very easy dc wisdom check and the main bad guy has to gets the fear condition and we all know that the fear condition means you have to use dash on your turn to run away, basically. Yeah. So within the first turn, within maybe the first roll of what's going on, the creature has to go. And it's just like, I'm just like, what do we do now? Because you just set up an, a whole encounter, but now it can't happen, right? Because they do, and they're just like, oh, this is super cool. This is super cool. So have you had the problem of within not even get through the first round like within the first one or two actions of the combat has started your big bad guy has left the combat oh yeah no uh my hot springs <laughs> island people learned the spell banishment and they were fighting a giant boar with like eight other little boars that were attacking mm -hmm. him and so they were like well i'm gonna cast banish on the large boar which like the little boars had, there was some mechanical thing where if they were within radius of the mama boar, they could have advantage or something. So it like mm -hmm. it negated all of that. They kind of meticulously just went down and killed all of the little, like little boars. And then they waited a minute for the giant one to pop back. And then ants on sugar swarmed him. And yeah. And the whole, yeah. the whole encounter was like, wow, you guys didn't get hurt at all. You yeah, know, like I had, times. I had action economy, but you kind of just took it away by that one spell. Yeah. Um, so and that was this happens. thing. So this thing had, you know, multiple attacks. It had some spells it could do. But all of a sudden, because I failed a wisdom check, all that action economy yeah. is gone. They have yeah. to leave leave the thing. So in the moment, I had that that typical, the reason I wanted to bring it up, because like that's what we do. We play our campaigns, we run them, and then there's something that happens in that campaign that I feel is relevant that we can talk to all the dungeon masters that are listening. I had that moment of well, you bastards, you know, that, that like, <laughs> damn you. Like, uh, it was almost like, why'd you do that to my my poor little Cambion that was supposed to give you a nice hard fight? And it was going to be cool because I wanted him to give them information too during the fight. I wanted him to be pompous. I wanted him to be arrogant and overconfident that he could take them out. So he was going to just start spewing out stuff that normally, because he thinks he's going to win, he, he wouldn't normally say if he thought he was going to lose. But all of that doesn't happen. So in the moment, I'm just like, I'm not devastated, but I'm like, what do we do now? I mean, that was the whole encounter was this big fight with a Cambion against mm -hmm. this thing. And it ties into a character's backstory and all this cool stuff. But now I can't do any of that. So on the fly, within a few seconds, trying not to use that emotion on your face of, oh, you guys have ruined everything, you know, because they want to use their character abilities and they and they should be able to get to that. I turned it from that fight where he took off and ran and they beat the little hounds and they're like, okay, we'll wait for him to come back. And I'm like, all right, you wait 10 minutes. And they're like, all right, well, we start yelling insults. I'm like, okay, you wait another 10 minutes. Nothing happens. And they're like, uh Oh, and I was like, all right. So, you know, it's scared of us. It ran off. So they go, well, let's take our short rest. And that's when the big rock drops on them from in the sky. They can't take their <laughs> short rest. Like, where is he? can't see him it's dark you don't have enough dark vision to see where he's at so i harried them the entire way um i cast spells at them to whenever somebody was on watch i used command to make that person run off into the woods um if they failed their save i harried them the whole time so they never got a short rest they never got a long rest this thing stayed away and it turned into this like 
thriller, like this, this um, more of a mental kind of game where nobody was getting hit and nobody was fighting, but they still felt like they were under pressure the entire time. So by the end of the night, they finally make it back to the town. And I did some shape shifting where they looks like other players in the group. Um, some of the people that are on watch disappear and then come back later on. And like, they're just getting really worried about what in the heck's going on. They finally get in and they think they're safe. And then they realize it can shape change and look like any one of them. And now there's this big conspiracy about, could it be in town already? How are we going to find it and all this other stuff? And the whole time I got a bunch of messages from the players about that was so cool that even though we didn't really fight it, there was a lot of tension and pressure on them all of a sudden by changing it to a psychological warfare versus an actual warfare. Right. So I just thought that was a cool thing that off the top of my head, I just stumbled Mm. into and I thought, you know what? all right, he doesn't have to be dumb, right? He doesn't have to get scared for one minute and then just come back and into the blender of my five players that are set and ready for them and then just try to swing his sword. That's all it does. You know, that's, you don't have to do that. And it, and it also, I think clicked because I was watching um, Adam Coble, they were playing dungeon, the mad mage. And there's a part where their players come into a room and 20 goblins come out. Now their characters are like fifth or sixth level. So they see the goblins and they're like, eh, no big deal. It's 20 goblins. And in reality, the way Adam kind of just swarmed around them, they all have a high ACs. They have all abilities that mitigate stuff. Um, so he just runs them in. They fight, fight, fight. Nothing happens. He, they, they trounce 20 goblins. And I remember thinking, well, you're not using the ability that the goblins have, which makes them cool, which is nimble escape, Right. That's that whole thing where they can go in, fight, and then they can disengage free without attacks of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So what I was wondering is why didn't he just start doing that kind of stuff and keep them away versus, you know, really play them up to what they should be versus uh, they just run in as a mob. They fight as a mob. They all go down as a mob because they only have seven hit points. And it's like kind of anticlimactic in a way. So it kind of, I think that with that, watching that this week, and then the way my game went on Monday, it made me remember, and we've talked about it on the show, that your monsters can be tactical. They can be smart. They don't live for hundreds of years in a very dangerous world where anything can eat them without being pretty smart. You know, I, you know, there's just cambians and goblins or trolls or orcs. You know, they they live 20, 30, 40, 50 years in one of the most dangerous worlds you could possibly be in. And so they have to be smart to be able to survive that. So I always, I'm thinking I want to be smart when I play those characters and I want to be tactical when I go up against my players. Cause you can bet your players are being super tactical against you. <laughs> no, it reminds me of a adventure league game I played where we busted in a door of, there were like 20 goblins on the inside of this door. And we were like, Oh, well they'll just funnel out and we'll like attack them one by one. Like we're clearly have the upper hand, but they were cycling like in a circle within the room and firing arrows. So they were getting like 20 arrows off through that door opening. And then they would like hide along the side of the walls so that we, we would have, they'd have like cover basically like a plus five AC when we try to attack them. Yeah. And, and I was like, and we were all looking at the DM, like, are they that smart? And he's just like, they are when I run them. So (laughs) like, okay. That's right. Yeah. And then then, uh, Tucker's kobolds, if you want to Google that, um, is the same thing where it's like if you have high level players, you can create a dungeon of kobolds that use traps and manipulation. And even though they have like 10 hit points, they can still be a serious threat to the players. Um, so it's yeah. it's fun. It's fun to run smart monsters. And a lot of times I look at a monster's intelligence and kind of deem how tactical they are after that. But mm-hmm. yeah, you start throwing in like if you've got a party of five players and I've got like seven monsters, you can do a lot of cool stuff by setting up combos and manipulating mm-hmm. the battlefield. So yeah, it's fun. So it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I was GMs that are out there, think about your monster tactics. Um, don't think of them as just a, they run up and hit and that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they don't have a lot of other skills, try to you know manipulate with movement and other stuff just to make it fun for your players and keep them on their toes. I thought it was pretty good. And be ready to change a situation that you weren't prepared for into something else. Like if they do something to your bad guy that makes them run away or like you said, banishes them or silences them, be ready to just fall back with that character into another area 
to reset that fight up or to come at it in a more advantageous area. Don't just say, okay, they just charge forward and they just, you know, hit twice, charge forward, hit twice, charge forward, hit twice. Make them make them really interesting. And um, I think my characters are, or my players are really excited about seeing what happens with this Cambion now that hunts them when they go out on adventures and waits for them. So it's going to be pretty interesting. So that was pretty fun. That was our Seeking Revenor West Marches style game. Um, still going pretty good. Characters are having fun with it. Um, they're starting to really bump into the bigger factions that are out there and they're not really defeating them. They're bumping into them, fighting them, and then retreating. So I'm curious to see when they finally put their foot down and say, no, we need to go in and really just dig these things out of this area so they're not here any longer. Because what's happening is they're they're not going back for a week or two or three weeks so that all that stuff gets replenished or all of it gets re-recruited. You know, there's more tribes send more warriors or they're able to get their guards back and stuff or more magic is done to bring up some undead or whatever it might be. So because they're putting so much time in between, it's almost like they're starting over every single time they go over. I can't wait till they're tired of that and they figure out that they just need to, you know, just kind of sink into it and get it done. So that'd be interesting. Um, also, I've been playing around with some of them have been streamed, some have not. Um, and it is fun as a dungeon master not to stream every single thing you do. Um, I found it refreshing and freeing to not turn that one into a show, although most of the time we do stream our games. It was fun to have a Monday night where we could take breaks when we wanted to. We weren't concerned about, you know, people leaving or coming in the viewer part or, or talking with people in chat or recording things or overlays or any of that stuff. I could just play the game and and focus on the story, which was really nice. So every now and then, that was really cool. Don't burn yourself out with trying to make everything a show. Um, that's something I was doing there for a bit. <laughs> we were talking life. about that at Gen Con with a bunch of Twitch and YouTube people where they're like, is it a missed opportunity to, like mm -hmm. when you are playing a game where you're like, oh, I could be streaming this. And I'm mm -hmm. like, for me personally, no, because I still really like the camaraderie and just like the relaxed atmosphere of playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends at a table and not worrying about being interesting, I guess, or trying yeah. to like make like a, I don't know, just trying to, to stream and, and, and have an audience is, is kind of uh, nerve wracking at times. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on for a, a DM that's running the show and running the game. So, you know. You know how much you can handle, I guess, yeah. is the big thing. Don't try to bite off too much. That'll always happen. So other than that, then we played Thursday night. We played a, not really a session zero, because normally a session zero is about creating characters. But we're about to start a campaign that starts next week on Thursday nights. Um, and we're going to play through Wizards of the Coast modules. Um, I think we're starting with the... Um, the dragon one first. The very What's the very first one? It's... Waterdeep Dragon Heist? No, no, no. The very first 5e Lost Minds of Fandelver? No, it was before. What's the, the main campaign they released? Tyranny of Dragons. That's it. <laughs> We're going to play Tyranny of Dragons. Horde of the Dragon um, Queen. Yeah. Horde of the Dragon Queen stuff. Yeah. So we hadn't played that yet. But this week, he's a brand new GM. So it's um, Dammit Barry. He's brand new to being a GM. He's been a player and he's going to stream a show. So he wanted a practice session. So this Thursday was a practice session. And he chose, just like we talked about last week, Dragon on the Mount by a famous author named Jordan. And uh, <laughs> that's the one he was going to run. So we played through Jordan's adventure on Thursday, and I got to play a fourth-level artificer. And this He's wasn't streamed, right? It was not streamed. Yeah, you just kind of played um, it. But he that's was fun. Everything, yeah, he was getting everything ready to go. And uh, it was interesting because, one – it's a new GM running your module, which was, you know, I've, I've seen you run it. Uh, and I've seen now somebody who's brand new to being a DM run it. Um, and it was cool. I think one thing I'm enjoying, we've said quite often on the show is we enjoy as dungeon masters or game masters, bringing new people to the game that haven't played before and have them in our games. So we could show them a really cool game and have really fun. But I'm also now realizing I really enjoy playing with a brand new dungeon master. Because I can help them and I can support them in a very supportive way. And if the players aren't don't know or they don't know a rule or something, you know, and I can wait till they say, like, well, what do we think that rule is? And I can I, I can kind of say, oh, I think this rule is this. If you know, and do it really unobtrusively, not the the style of 
let me tell you because I'm the rules lawyer and I know all things. Um, or if he did something wrong where I thought, I don't think you should do that, you know, I didn't say anything. I was just like, hey, it's your game. You, you run it any way you want. Um, but to really be supportive. So if they know they have a player that's actually there helping them, it takes some of that pressure off them. And I enjoyed that that role of helping him out um, and getting he ran a, He ran a fantastic game. Um, so that was pretty fun. He did great. I thought that was cool. I got to play the Artificer. I'm playing the Artillerist version of it. <clears throat> and I felt like, boy, there's some interesting things there about um, the healing portion of it. So there's a, a, a Defender turret that you can drop down. And then anybody within 10 feet of that, I can do a pulse as a bonus action as the Artificer. And everybody gets a 1d8 plus my intelligence modifier for temporary hit points every turn i can pulse that and i started thinking well that's going to be really hard for anything to kill us in this adventure because if everybody stands within 10 feet of this turret and i just pulse that every single time and i have a plus four intelligence modifier like the first time i rolled it they got 12 temporary hit points whoa they got hit by something and then I rolled it again. So here's the thing about the rule with temporary hit points, right? So if I roll it on the next turn and I roll a seven, you have to pick one or the other. You can't combine them. So temporary hit points don't get cumulative. You pick one or the other. So you either take the seven from the pulse or you keep the temporary hit points you had before, which was the 12. Or if you lost all yours, then you take the seven. And then the next turn goes around and I pulse it again. And I just started thinking, ooh, this is a little something. But it reminded me that there's another spell out there, and it's been happening in my campaign now. Have you had anybody in your campaign started using the, I think it's called the Healing Spirit? No, spell? I remember the controversy when it came out, but yeah. yeah. Wizards of the Coast it's, had to make some special rules for it, I think, right? It's like a, a spirit that you drop down in a five-foot square, and if somebody walks through it or it touches them, they get a number of hit points. And so what the players have been doing is they put that in a five-foot square and all the players use their movement to walk through it mm -hmm. every single turn. So it's like every single turn, everybody's getting healed, you know, seven, eight, ten points, whatever it might be. Um, so I just thought, wow. And I've heard some people saying that that seems overpowered. Well, this this kind of defender turret kind of feel, felt a little bit like that to me. Um, so I'm wondering if that ends up getting changed or not. Um, so we'll have to see. I, I don't know. It felt a little off. I well, and a I, lot of times with these, they, they make them way overpowered just so that they can pull it back a little bit. Like I, the spore druid did not feel overpowered to me, but like when they actually released it, it, it was pulled back and I was like, Oh, I like the Spore Druid when it was a little more powerful, but I guess this makes sense. It's like slightly more balanced, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the other thing, um, I know as Skull Dixon kind of said, it kind of sounds like a video gamey thing. I think when you read the mechanic, it is. But the idea is that um, my guy was a toy maker, and he made a toy that all that pulsed out like healing energy to characters. So I think it depends on how you RP what the magic looks like. Um, because anything is, you know, depending on how you explain it, you can explain it like it's a mechanic or you can explain it like it has a really cool thematic thing to it. And these were little toys that my toy maker would put out. So like he had a turtle that would walk, walk around and then it would spit out like these leaves that would just kind of burst out. And then everybody that was near those leaves would kind of get healed. So in like a kind of like a nature thing. And everybody was saying like a Torbjorn kind of um, thing. They were referencing Overwatch and stuff like that. The other turret is a flame turret, and then, then, then one's called the ballista turret. And it's basically a force bolt of some sort. One is a flame cone, and then obviously this defender turret, which is a, a temporary hit points. But it also made me wonder about why, here's the big question that I had, why do we have temporary hit points? Um, I mean, mechanically, I think just so you can get above your max hit points. Like it, it was a mechanic right. to just get above your max hit points. But we have the spell aid 
that when you cast that, it increases your max hit points for the duration, and then you can be healed up to that just for that duration, but then it goes away afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I wonder why there's a whole separate mechanic, and it's a weird mechanic because it's not cumulative. It does this thing where if you have multiple sources of giving you temp hit points, you have to pick one or the other. It seems to be very bookkeepery, very leftover from maybe previous editions style maybe you know why not just give them i always think of it like uh it's like a barrier or a shell like like if somebody hits you with a, a slime ooze and you're covered in this like hardened slime that gives you 10 temporary hit points because they got to break through that shell before they can actually hurt you yeah um, see that's what i'm thinking i want to do i want to go towards it's not temporary hit points which i think is a weird way to say it i think it's more of like um resistance or it's more of like um absorption it temporary yeah. absorption it's like f you've got four points of absorption that you can use on any incoming damage i think if they had explained it that way I think it would have been a better I, mechanically. It's the same thing. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. mean it doesn't matter, but I think I like the idea that it's absorbing some of the damage coming in versus I'm getting this weird temp HP pool, but I have my regular HP pool and now I've got to manage two of the HP pools on character sheets, which is really a nightmare. Even in D and D beyond, it wasn't fun trying to manage do I have the 10 now, but then I have this over here and you know, all the stuff. Um, I kind of wish that, like you were saying, you think of it as a shield or you think of it as something that gets in the way of the damage or it absorbs the damage or it blocks the damage or it stops the damage. It's not, I have more hit points that bleed out. Yeah. Yeah. I always up. think of it. That's how I always think of it. And yeah. I'm trying to think of like, what spells give you temporary hit points or what abilities? Um, I would look a it up on D&D Beyond if I actually own more of the books on D&D Beyond, but yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a few out there. So it was an interesting thing. I thought um, it's not a lot of hit points, but if you're getting it every turn and you can give it to every single player, that could get, but maybe the problem with the turret is it doesn't move very fast. So it only has a 15 foot movement. So it's kind of like um, movement wise, like a, a spiritual weapon, which mm -hmm. I think only moves 20. So it's not like you can really race it down. You can only have your turret for 10 minutes. So it's not like you can walk through an entire dungeon that way it's eventually going to go away before the next fight type thing and you get one free use of a turret and then after that you have to use your spell slots which you don't get very many of if you want to bring another turret up at some point and you can only have one up at any given time um so they do limit it that way i almost feel like i think my feedback eventually is going to be i wish i could cast the turret more often mm -hmm. but it was less effective when it was out there so instead of it doing like a d8 plus modifier maybe it just does a d4 and maybe the damage is toned down but i get to use it more often like it can walk around with me from dungeon area to dungeon area to dungeon area instead of i really get one or two uses and then i have to wait for a long rest before i get it back because i can't really use those spell slots i get a spell list but i only got three spell slots at that level yeah. um so you're really talking about maybe three uses of a turret before a long rest, maybe two uses of a turret, and then you cast two spells. And then after that, you're just fire mm -hmm. your crossbow or, you know, do something else. So I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to correlate what my feedback's going to be, but I think there should be a few changes to it. But thematically, everybody really loved how I was explaining this character's abilities were working, how it was able to do its magic stuff, how it was using its tools to do it, how it was using things that had been created to do it, um, how the toys themselves looked, or I was thinking about going like a puppet route or maybe a toy route or just all kinds of different ways that you could come up mm -hmm. with how these things are. It really was a fun class to play in that respect from an RP kind of respect. And I can't wait to start at first level and go through this campaign with an artificer, um, which is pretty good. So the only other thing from that is he had um, one thing that they stumbled on in the beginning of your adventure was the skill challenge. Yeah. Um, and I think that's mostly because if people haven't done a lot of skill challenges from like fourth edition and understand how they work, if it's the first time you've done it in fifth edition, it takes a few before you actually understand what's going on or how you can use them. But we got through it. We were able to go through and do some cool things. Um, it was funny because none of us even came close to failing um, our skill checks because we all were using 
skills that had high bonuses in them. Yeah. So he, he kind of, I could see it. He didn't say it, but I could see it in his eyes. This, um, well, why are we doing this? If it's just, it's so easy for them to pass. What's the point? Mm-hmm. He, he was kind of rolling around in his mind. Um, he's like, maybe the DC should be higher or, cause I don't even remember what you, what you had set that DC at. I don't remember off the top um, of my head, but I think it was yeah. six successes before three failures. And normally yeah. when I want to make it like a really difficult skill challenge, I'll do eight successes before three failures and then up the DC a little higher. Uh, uh okay. but like perfect, perfect example. And I guess I can talk about this a little bit later. Well, not really. We're it's 1050. Holy cow. We're getting there. Sorry. Yeah. I talked <laughs> um, a lot, but hot Springs <laughs> Island, we ran, um, mass combat with, with my like mass combat rules. And then after that combat, after they were kind of like the fight was happening, my players wanted to break away and go storm Sparku's volcano tower. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a skill challenge and it literally came down. And I told them this, uh, because it was really fun. It's I'm like, it's always really fun when it comes down to the wire and the DC was 15, they needed to get eight successes before three failures. And it was literally down to seven successes, two failures. The next roll was going to decide, do they win or do they fail? And mm-hmm. then he rolled a natural 20 and, and they won. So it was awesome. <laughs> but like, yeah, when they can be really fun, but they can also be like, oh, you guys just mopped the floor with them, which I've had before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the dice, though. You know, you can't control yeah. the dice. So. Yep. So it was interesting, I think, and he was a new dungeon master, so they don't talk a lot about skill checks in 5th edition. Mm -hmm. I think there's a mention of it in the DM's guide, but it's definitely not in the player's handbook where they talk too much about skill challenge stuff. So he wasn't too sure how to run that. So for for just from his standpoint, he he kind of struggled there a tiny bit. Um, The other thing he said he he didn't know what confused him, um, and I don't want to spoil um the module so I, I encourage all of you to go out i even put the link in there so jordan could copy it and paste it in chat so people could get this over on dm's guild um he, there's a part where at the very beginning uh that depending if the players decide to go on and attack at night or if they're going to go um and wait a night stay and then go early in the morning the next morning there's a group of kobolds that come down to grab the tribute and then run off with the tribute right and that's the whole skill challenge thing they're grabbing the tribute and they're running with it he was really confused about where those people went because it didn't mention Mm -hmm. where did they show up again later on so he wasn't sure so i i don't know i mean i haven't read through it to see if there was something in there he missed or um if that was mentioned but that was what that was his feedback he was confused about the group that grabbed the tribute what happened to them yeah where did they go so just some feedback from a from yeah, a yeah. um other than that it was pretty fun we didn't i won't say the spoiler part of this but we didn't hit the signature one of the signature fights in that yeah i um, ran it in and the same thing happened they just bypassed that entire room yeah we didn't even know it was there well i i knew it was there but yeah. i was letting the, the players lead where we were going and they just said well let's go left let's go right let's go left and boom we were there we bypassed like one main thing mm-hmm. that would could have been pretty fun to see what would happen um so that was interesting and i think it happened because he ran it as a theater of the mind game mm-hmm so we were just making left right choices without seeing a map where a map might have said, well, wait a minute, what's this thing over yeah, here? Yeah, there's a big dark spot and in the corner. We might have yeah. gone that way had we seen it on a map versus uh, well, you, you guys can go left or right. Uh, we'll go left, you yeah. know, or whatever. So I was wondering, um, when you've ran yours, have you drawn the thing out? Yes. When you ran it or yeah. have you done? Th- so I'm a big fan of miniatures and maps in general. And Theater of the Mind, I find it, like we in perfect example we ran the uh stranger things one shot last night and it was all theater of the mind and i got real confused and then at the very end ted held up a map and i'm like oh okay that's what you meant so because when they're just like we well, can go left right or straight i just choose one i'm like i don't know flip a coin let's go straight like whatever yeah um i don't know what looks more appealing whereas if i'm looking at a map i'm kind of like oh i bet i wonder if this loops around to the other corridor and you kind of you kind of start thinking about how it works from a top-down perspective so pretty much every time i've ran it like i included a map in the adventure because every time i ran it i was going to use this map 
And so mm-hmm. I have, and I've drawn it out. And when we played on Roll20, we had it there and yeah. and things like that. So, yeah. It was uh, interesting. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm that fan, too, for mm-hmm. those Dungeon Masters out there that I'm thinking I lean towards a map and miniatures or, like, if you're using a virtual tabletop, a map and tokens and stuff. Because I like a tactical game. I like them to be able to see where they're going when they're going in these things to let them visualize what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this game to me fifth edition has a lot of abilities that are very how far away am i from thing dependent i have so many abilities that say if you're within five feet or if this thing does this but in theater of the mind it's just kind of arbitrary distances really you're like how many things are near me ah a couple well and it's really nice for a dungeon mat this is getting into a whole discussion but like like as a dungeon master i don't want to keep all of that in my mind as to where people are located and what's happening and and I get it. You kind of just wave it. Like I think about Numenera where they say there's not 30 feet or 50 feet. You're just like close, near or far. And that's a, just this nice way of saying, nope, it's far away. So, okay, far means this mechanically. Or if you're near, near means this mechanically. Um, and then the dungeon master can kind of just say, like, we don't need to know that you're 60 feet away from a monster or that this spell has a 120 foot range. This spell has a far range. So I can cast it from a far distance. Uh, As a dungeon master, though, I just have a hard time keeping it all track in my head. And when I can place down miniatures and then clearly see, yes, you are in line of sight of this, or yes, you are this. And I know it turns it into a more tactical game rather than a role-playing game, but that's a part of D&D that I really enjoy. You know, like I like the tactics of it. I like like flanking. I like, you know, all this kind of stuff. It was really interesting, so... Yeah, it's the reason they put that stuff in there. The reason that you can block somebody from doing something, you can push somebody 10 feet back. You um, can use, if you're within five feet, you can knock an arrow down with your shield type thing if that's one of the abilities. All those things matter when you're on the, the grid, but they just kind of go away. You're just like, I want to shoot a fireball. How many can I get? And the GMs typically in that case, they're like, uh, you can get about three or four. Well, Whereas I, if you look at a yeah. real map, you'll know exactly how can I get six of them. I will maneuver myself so that I can get six of them. You know? We so. had a, a really good example last night in the Stranger Things when we were running at Theater of the Mind. And we were fighting the, the you know end boss of the module, and he had an AoE acid attack. And so in my mind, I'm like, I want to run up but like behind the the guys so that we're not like all clumped together. But in Ted's mind, we were all clumped together. So when it recharged its acid attack, it, you know, did the acid attack and it hit three of the four of us. And I was like, but I was on the other side, wasn't I? And we were kind of like, I don't know, were you? And it's that stuff where I'm like, if we were playing with miniatures, I would have specifically gotten out of the way. And then we all know, where's Jordan? He's right there. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like a tactical game. I'll never apologize that that's the style of game I like to play. Um, (laughs) I've tried a few theater of the minds, but I lean more towards being able to see the map, let people move their things around, mm-hmm. see exact distances and do so. The other thing it really helps with is anybody that has really long distance stuff too, because typically with theater of the mind, all your combats happen in a 20 or 30, like every time we'd ask the GM, well, how, how far is that cobalt from us? He's like, ah, about 30 ish feet. You know, everything was like this close foot. And I keep thinking, well, I'm this, what if I'm this, you know, ranger that has 240 foot range of stuff. You never do any combats at 240 feet because Mm -hmm. theater of the mind, you wait until we're super close before anything happens and all that stuff. So I I just think um, that's, I just thought it was interesting that we ran into that. So that was us playing Dragon on the Mount. It was very fun. Once again, it was fun, even though it was the second time I played through it. And their big thing was... um, they were like, well, you're playing a uh, artificer, so now we want to take the dragon and make it our dragon. And so we <laughs> ride around in it, and we can make it do things. And they're like, our artificer can do a lot better than those guys can do. I'm like, yeah, I could fix this, and I could fix that. So that was a really funny part of our of our campaign. So that's what I did in my Dungeons and Dragons. I took up all of Jordan's time. <laughs> well, maybe next week we'll it. start yeah. with. Uh, so I'm gonna finish Hot Springs Island on Monday. We're going to play. 
Um, and so I'll probably have lots to talk about with just like finishing it. Cause that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, but we'll get into it next week is like finishing an adventure and what does that entail? And like what happens mm -hmm. when you finish an adventure? Because a lot of times you kind of play until people can't meet anymore and then you just kind of stop. But this is like, this is the climactic end and, of the and, adventure. Like what's going to yeah. happen. Um, They've our our party has found Sparku. They're kind of like in talks and negotiations with him. So we'll see if they want to like punch his face or if they want to uh, figure out some other way of of ending the adventure. But it's I don't know. It's going to be fun. So we'll we'll I'm always I never know what's going to happen with this group, and that's one of the mm -hmm. reasons I really like playing with them. So we'll see. But we'll that's save cool. that for next week. So maybe we'll start the we'll start talking about that, and we'll actually have a really good discussion about starting and stopping campaigns because I think that yeah. would be a good we'll topic. Put it in the notes about. right now. That way we don't forget. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> going in the show notes right now. <laughs> but I mean, between Stranger Things one shot, uh, my Warforged, uh, I'm playing a Warforged in a campaign. We're in a, like a weird Drow Duergar city with mind controlled things. Uh, ran mm. into a mind flare uh, and hot springs island like i played a lot of D, D this week so i'll have lots to talk about it's gonna be awesome <laughs> cool all right and with that everybody i think we'll end our show this was this was a good show this was a lot of fun topics of conversation um it made me look up the like i was thinking of abilities that give you temporary hit points and i had to look it up because the mm -hmm. samurai has an ability where he gets advantage on an attack and then he gets temporary hit points Mm -hmm. And I love that ability where it's like your your onslaught is so good that you can deflect certain blows. And that's what those temporary hit points kind of mean. Like right. I'm able to like deflect certain blows. I don't know. And so that's, again, how I think of temporary hit points. But yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm there. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for coming out. Thank you for subscribing on YouTube. Thank you for commenting on videos. And thank you for being here live and watching us. We're live at 9 a.m. Pacific time every Saturday morning. Uh, so come mm -hmm. and hang out with us either on Twitch or YouTube. And we will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Goodbye, everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.